Both in Epsilon and in, in the Sony case, there's old data laying around that companies uh, weren't even using, but were still somehow made available for, for people to get their hands on. Um, and again, you know, after the fact, maybe you know, they'll go back and purge their databases because it would be expensive to comply with. But not enough companies are really you know, living by the idea of data minimization on a day-to-day basis. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. Uh, My... West Coast co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is not able to be with us today because of uh, a scheduling conflict. Uh, I, of course, write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law, and Craig writes the blog, May It Please the Court. We, of course, like to thank our sponsors, Clio, the web-based practice management solution, which is available at goclio.com. SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis, which you can find at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN Firm Manager, a web-based practice management product for lawyers. Uh, On April 19th, the Sony Corporation suffered a huge security breach in its video game uh, online network. The names, addresses, and credit card numbers of as many as 100 million uh, different uh, users of its PlayStation network and its uh, online gaming services and and its Curiosity uh, Entertainment network. Uh, The uh, IDs were stolen by hackers. In an official blog post, Howard Stringer, the CEO of Sony, said, quote, let me assure you that the resources of this company have been focused on investigating the entire nature and impact of the cyber attack we've all experienced and on fixing it. We are absolutely dedicated to restoring full and safe service as soon as possible and rewarding you for your patience. We will settle for nothing less. This, of course, is is uh, only the latest uh, and perhaps one of the largest uh, online security breaches of personal information. Uh, No doubt it's not the last. Uh, A billion-dollar class action lawsuit has already been filed in Canada, and similar lawsuits have been filed in the United States. Our guests today are going to help us uh, explore the legal issues in data breaches such as this and uh, talk about uh, what might be done down the road to prevent them from happening. To help us do that, we have two guests. Uh, First of all, joining us from Washington, D.C. is Justin Brookman, the director for the Center for Democracy and Technology's Project on Consumer Privacy. Prior to joining CDT in January 2010, Mr. Brookman was chief of the Internet Bureau of the New York Attorney General's office. Under his leadership, the Internet Bureau was one of the most active and aggressive law enforcement groups working on Internet issues. And Mr. Brookman brought several groundbreaking cases to protect the rights of online consumers. 
Uh, Justin Brookman was also has also brought several privacy cases against companies who misused or misappropriated consumers' personal information, including the first enforcement of the Graham Leach Bailey's restrictions on the use of consumer financial data. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Justin Brookman. Hi, thanks for having me on. And uh, next to join us today is Attorney John H. Lacey from the McCormick Firm in Boston, Massachusetts. John Lacey heads the emerging practice area of data security and privacy for the firm. John specializes in the new Massachusetts data privacy law and assists businesses in attaining compliance and preventing penalties associated with breaches of data security and advises on how to respond to a data breach. Prior to joining the McCormick firm, John was assistant district attorney for Suffolk County in the special prosecution unit where he had substantial training and experience in electronic evidence investigations. He's also the author of the Massachusetts Data Privacy Law blog, which you can find at massdataprivacy.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, John Lacey. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Justin Brookman, let me begin with you uh, and uh, ask you to uh, perhaps give us an overview of, of what's happened, what happened in, in this, this latest breach involving Sony. Um, so it's not entirely clear all all the facts uh, at, at issue here. It, it sounds like uh, certain uh, there was a kind of an internet effectively for Sony where developers could get access to and and could perhaps get access to information and and hackers have been kind of discussing some of the vulnerabilities of this internet for a while. Uh, they found that there was a way to get on there uh, using relatively simple uh, techniques. Um, uh, once they got on there, they found access to uh, databases that perhaps, <laughs> in some cases, certainly should have been uh, deleted a long time ago. Um, and I think they're still in the process of figuring out exactly what happened. Uh, the the uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee held a hearing on this issue uh, last week, and, and they invited Sony and, and, and Epsilon, uh, who also had a data breach recently, to come testify, and, and they declined, citing that we're still figuring out what's going on here. Uh, several days after the initial breach was, was announced, uh, they, they announced that in addition to the PlayStation breach, uh, they also also lost 30 million records um, from Sony Online Services, a, a somewhat, somewhat separate product, uh, at the same time. So, so I think, uh, and and I think there's open questions about whether it's just uh, customer uh, information, like an email or account and password, uh, or also uh, credit card numbers as well. And it sounds like they're starting to think that credit card numbers were compromised too. Well, you you testified this week uh, in Congress on this. And in, in your testimony, you point out that uh, this is uh, this is maybe an egregious case, but uh, by no means does it stand alone. I, I, you're, in your testimony, you wrote that there have been uh, as many as 600 million records have been breached due to roughly 2,460 data breaches made public since 2005. Yeah, and it's only really since around that time that companies actually had to report these data breaches. Uh, California passed the first uh, data breach security uh, notification law uh, at the beginning of the decade. Uh, and and uh, other states saw, hey, this is a good thing that we have to actually inform consumers uh, when these sorts of things happen. Uh, as a result of, of those notification laws, uh, uh, 
the FTC then was, was, has been able to bring enforcement cases uh, about data breaches that perhaps they might never have known about otherwise. And so I think one of the seminal ones that everyone's aware of, or a lot of people are aware of, uh, is the ChoicePoint uh, investigation back in 2004. Cho- ChoicePoint, uh, online and offline data broker that uh, not a lot of people know about. It's an intermediary that collects and sells customer records. Not a lot of, it's not really a consumer-facing side there. Uh, but the FTC, uh, in, in probably one of their biggest settlements ever, uh, found out that they were using poor security uh, in protecting uh, user records, got like a $10 million fine from them under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Uh, but uh, lots of other uh, high-profile breaches in recent years. Um, uh, TJ Maxx was probably one of maybe the largest before this, um, something like 60 million records or something uh, absurd. Uh, but as more and more you know, companies get access to consumer data and, and more and more you know, intermediaries uh, uh, get access to data in uh, companies that don't necessarily have consumer-facing sides, uh, all the more potential uh, for, for records to get lost. Well, in the Epsilon case, was another big uh, recent one uh, where, 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 I guess, email addresses uh, were, were uh, disclosed, not necessarily financial data. But, John, let me turn to you. I mean, you've, you've, uh, you're obviously very much involved in this, in this case. Uh, put, put this, this Sony case in perspective from your vantage point. What it comes down to really is, is, is what is the information that was taken um, and, and how can it be used? Um, Epsilon was email addresses, um, arguably harmless uh, in and of themselves, um, but they are able to uh, be used in a targeted campaign by uh, what I call the bad guys um, to try to trick the recipient into doing something. With the Sony breach, the information it seems to be much more um, personal oriented um, there's names, there's dates of birth, there's addresses, um, then there's all the uh, associated login um, information for, for the PlayStation account, um, which, of course, could be changed, and where's the value hacking into somebody's account to play a game. But, but having the name and dates of birth and, and home addresses of these, of these you know, 77 million people uh, in the hands of people, that's fundamentally different and if it turns out the credit cards went along with them, you know that that's a fundamentally different experience. That you've lost not just credit card information, which essentially go back to a company, but you've lost 77 million or maybe even 100 million people's personal information. Um, that could be many, many years um, of of worry, of concern that something bad's going to happen. No, I mean I think it. You know, we we all presume that companies, uh, that these companies that we're we're turning over our personal information to every day, it seems like, uh, have a have a duty to to protect this information or responsibility. But what what's the the legal framework of that duty, John? Where where do where do companies uh, what what laws apply to companies uh, and require them, if any, to to protect our data? Uh, very few. Um, the uh, if you take credit cards, for example, the industry, Visa, MasterCard, primary operators, um, you know, they, they require the people who work in their system to have certain uh, protections. That's a private contract between two parties. Um, if you are a private business who collects information, only recently did the government get involved and say that you have to, um, you should really protect this information. Um, it, it's only that I think what what Justin was pointing out earlier was that with the you know the with the, the the introduction of these data breach notification statutes, 
all of a sudden we all became aware that, oh, this is happening on a regular basis. Um, and at that point in time, where I think the law is now, is that, you know, there's, there's a, you know, an eye-opening experience where they say, oh, we made them notify us, but now look at it. It's happening every day. Maybe we should go another step further and say, you know, if you take this information, you need to have some protections. What the FTC seems to do, essentially, is um, they take one of their authorities granted by Congress, and what they do is they they look to see if there's any uh, unfair or deceptive act by the company. And the only way to do that is to say, Mr. Company, what is your privacy policy? Well, we promise to keep the information safe. What was your security apparatus? X, Y, Z. Well, we don't think that that met your, what your promise was to the consumer so we can go after you under that theory. That's been the primary thrust of, um, of, the, of the law that I see. And Massachusetts recently passed um, a set of regulations um, in addition to a data breach notification statute that require companies to have certain security apparatus in place. For example, Encryption technology must be in place if the information is on a mobile device or if it's in transit. Uh, we're the only state to have, well, Nevada has a similar statute, but um, we're, we're one of the few states that goes one step further and requires the company that has the information to actually protect it as opposed to merely telling us when you've lost it. Yeah, I would just you know, augment on that. I think the FTC's authority goes a little bit farther than that. So um, certainly in their privacy cases, which is when you know, company, what, what companies affirmatively want to do with their data and how they want to transfer it, the FTC has been pretty uh, limited into uh, bringing cases where someone did make an affirmative statement, right, when they when they made their own representation and then violated it later. So recently saw a big settlement with Google about that. Um, uh, most of their cases proceed under that theory. But there's kind of two prongs to FTC authority. There's one prohibition on deceptive practices, and then there's a prohibition on unfair practices, uh, which is, again, a very vague term, and no one's entirely sure what it means. Uh, but the, the way that the FTC basically defines it is that if you engage in practices for which there's no real benefit and there, and there is a, a cost to consumers, um, then we're going to deem that to be illegal, effectively. And they've been, I think, increasingly interpreting this authority to, to effectively require companies to exercise reasonable security um, again, not defining what that is, not not saying it needs to be encryption or needs to be uh, specific password protected. Uh, but under the circumstances, once we find out about a data breach, if your security wasn't up to snuff, you know, state of the art, something that a reasonable person in your shoes would have done, we're going to deem that to be unfair, um, even if you didn't necessarily uh, make uh, promises to consumers about that. Um, I think it's, it's a trend. It's not entirely I mean, a lot of their security cases do also cite to representations that the companies made, because most companies will say, you know, we'll, we'll protect your data. Um, but I think you could bring an action, or the FTC could bring an action, based on, on, on just the fact that, given the circumstances, it was stupid for you to treat data this way. Well, how well do companies understand their requirements under these laws? I mean, they're, they're, I mean you mentioned the FTC law, and, and John mentioned the Massachusetts data privacy law, and, and I know that there are probably a, a patchwork of, of other laws that apply either on a state, either either state laws or, or federal laws that apply to, to certain sectors. What, you know, are companies uh, cognizant uh, of their responsibilities under these laws? Uh, and uh, are they are they living up to those responsibilities? Justin, let me ask you. Yeah, that. I would say not enough, right? I mean, like, you know, a lot of companies just assume, hey, this is not going to happen to us. And so, you know, they, there may be some lawyer at the company who's aware of the fact the FTC couldn't go after them. 
there's certainly lawyers for their companies who are aware of uh, of the Massachusetts law, which has gotten a fair amount of, of press attention. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure <laughs> that that uh, you know, institutionally uh, companies are, are really you know putting the, the the needed practices in place to to avoid this sort of situation. Uh, Sony, for example, I mean a lot of the, the practices which have been reported in the press. Uh, are somewhat, uh, I mean, if they are as correct as reported, it's somewhat, somewhat mind-boggling that they would have treated consumer data this way. And now, after the fact, they're going to go through an intensely, intensely painful process. I mean, they're going to have to mail uh, notifications to, to to millions and millions of consumers. Uh, the the gentleman who testified, uh, Dr. Stafford from Purdue University, uh, on, on the panel with me before uh, the, the the House hearing, said that. Effectively, uh, costs around two hundred sixteen dollars per record that you lost. That companies endure when they have a sort of uh, event, and so uh, just the, the cost of, of, of notifications, uh, potentially the cost of paying for credit monitoring services, which uh, some statutes even require in the event that you lose credit card information. Uh, it's going to it's just uh, mind-boggling what they're going to have to <laughs> to pay as a result of this. But I don't think that those potential costs are really well internalized in enough companies today. John, I wonder what your perspective is on that. I mean, I I'm, I know I'm here in Massachusetts, and I know the data privacy law has been controversial, uh, if if only for uh, the fact that it's it's somewhat complicated, uh, particularly for perhaps smaller businesses that don't have sophisticated IT departments that can help them implement it. Uh, you know, what's what's your perspective on how how well companies understand their requirements and how well they're complying with those requirements? Um, well, I I actually. Uh consult directly with the company, and I ask the direct questions about their current security apparatus and where I feel their risk may be. I help them assess their risk, and I find that um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing act for them. Um, the security doesn't make the company any money, so you know, it's not their first choice to do with their, you know, with their money uh, as opposed to, say, a new product. Uh, or something along those lines, um, and the thinking that it's not never going to happen to you is is a common one. Um, you know, especially for small companies now. If you see something like Sony, you know they say to them, "Well, I'm not Sony," and what they don't realize is that you know in the bad guys world, um, the middle sized, the mid sized companies are, are very soft targets. So I think it comes down to um, you know at some level, I don't want it to happen to me. Um, but what am I willing to do to prevent it? Oh, I have an insurance policy that should cover me, um, you know. But it's still not going to happen to me. It seems to be a common theme of, um, and I think the answer, the questions that go on inside the companies uh, are, are very in, in, interesting. Um, you know, management may ask the uh, in, IT guys, "What do you think about how are we doing with this? We're good. We're in good shape." Um, but a, a new upgrade comes, or, or or some new product rolls out, or some changes made to the system that is more important than catching the security apparatus up behind it. So the conversation inside the company is focused on making the company more money, and security has not become uh, a conversation that takes place on a daily basis. It's not part of the culture of companies yet. So I think the compliance, um, the knowledge and compliance is very low, especially here. Now, uh, I know that some lawsuits have have been filed uh, relating to the the Sony case, um, John, you've you've written about these on your blog. I, I, you've read the complaints in, in 
you, you mentioned a California case and a Massachusetts case. I don't know if there have been others filed beyond those, but what what what's what's the basis for these lawsuits? What are the what are the claims? What kind of relief are they looking for? Well, I have read them. They're both actually sitting at my desk. I have read them. Um, the short answer is they're looking for money. Um, <laughs> and this is what this is the risk you run as a company getting themselves into a situation like this. Um, you know, there's a lawsuit filed. Uh, by a firm in California on behalf of a gentleman who lives in Birmingham, Alabama. There's a law firm here in Massachusetts who filed a complaint on behalf of an individual who lives in Essex County. Apparently, that person didn't want to be too well-known. And those are the representative members of a class. Um, You're talking about people who played online video games or streamed movies or otherwise accessed some sort of an entertainment-based system who um, have asked for restitution, they've asked for actual damages, all kinds of categories of damages, Um, they've asked for attorney fees, Uh, they've asked for injunctive relief, well, Sony took care of that by taking down the system, Um, but of course they plan on putting it back up, you know, so uh, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, to be certified as a class, you know, will probably be a good position for a a law firm to find themselves in. Um, whether these people were actually harmed uh, or if they'll ever be actually harmed as a result of this, they certainly have some losses uh, because they may have paid for membership and the system's been down for a while. Um, but to ask for a billion dollars, as that firm out of Toronto did, seems to be um, a little over the top. Um, and I think that, you know, when you get yourself in this situation, this is what you're, this is part of the exposure. Well, I, I live in Essex County, but I will uh, attest to you that I'm not the uh, I'm not the plaintiff in that in that complaint. Uh, we we need to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute to continue our discussion about the uh, Sony uh, data privacy breach and the legal remedies for it. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing? We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing, and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third-party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself 
are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is unable to be with us today. Uh, we are talking today about the Sony data privacy breach. And uh, our guests to help us do that are Justin Brookman, Director of the Center for Democracy and Technologies Project on Consumer Privacy, Attorney John H. Lacey from the McCormick Law Firm in Boston and author of the Massachusetts Data Privacy Law blog. And Justin, I wanted to turn to you. Uh, and again, I, I should mention to our, our listeners that uh, you, you testified this week uh, before a congressional subcommittee, and, and your, your testimony is up on the uh, uh, on your website, cdt.org, uh, linked uh, from your biography on that website. I don't know if there's an easier link to it, but it can be found on that site, and it's, it's certainly worth reading. Uh, but but one of the things that you talk about in, in your testimony is uh, is kind of looking ahead uh, and uh, ways to uh, perhaps either better prevent or better address uh, breaches. Uh, tell us what it is that you think should or ought to be done. Right. So a lot of the members uh, were, were asking questions about whether there needs to be a, a federal data breach notification standard, perhaps with uh, you know, providing for uh, reasonable security requirements as well. And you know, my testimony is basically, from a consumer point of view, I mean, that's already the law. Like I said, the FTC has been pretty aggressive in saying, if you don't have reasonable security in place, we have the ability to go after you and get an injunction to require, uh, in some cases, get fined. Uh, if, it's, if it's governed by uh, certain statutes like GLB or the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Um, and there's also effectively nationwide uh, data breach notification standards. They're not consistent. Um, so it might be a little more expensive for, for companies to comply with, though, from a consumer point of view, that may be a feature, not a bug, right? If, if it makes it more painful to, to have a data breach, that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how much value would, would be uh, created just by passing a nationwide data breach notification. Um, however, there are things I think that could be done uh, to, to, to beef off existing law. So you know, one idea that I mentioned was giving the FTC more resources to bring more cases, um, and then also perhaps giving FTC penalty authority to get penalties on, on, on top of data breach uh, notification events. Like I said, in some situations, like in the Choice Point case, uh, FTC, because another statute um, was involved, they could do it. 
for most consumer data, I don't think that's the case. Um, so that, that's one thing we suggested. Another thing that I think would be useful was just overall privacy legislation. Um, so there, there are you know, these privacy principles that are that are out there that that we'd like to see built into law. Security is one of them, but that's pretty much in the law already. Um, you know, transparency about what you're doing with data, I think is important, and choice about sharing with third parties is important. One idea that I think especially maps over this issue really well is the idea of data minimization. So only taking the information you need from consumers, and once you're done with it, get rid of it. Um, if, if those if that was embodied in the law or or, or um, put into place by the companies on their own, maybe you wouldn't see some of the, the, uh, these issues that we've seen. I mean, both both in Epsilon and in, in the Sony case, there's old data laying around that companies uh, weren't even using, but were still somehow made available for for people to get their hands on. Um, and again, you know, after the fact, maybe you know they'll go back and purge their databases because it would be expensive to comply with. But not enough companies are really, you know, living by the idea of data minimization on a day-to-day basis. And if there were, you know, reasonable, flexible requirements in the law, I think you would see a better result for consumers. John, what about from where you stand? Do you see a need for new legislation, uh, for uh, more government oversight in this area? Well, what I've seen so far is um, a law. Um, here in Massachusetts that was passed uh, arguably in, in direct relation to the TJX breach where 40 million or so uh, credit cards were, were um, taken. Um, and the law essentially uh, you know, required these, these rules and regulations that companies follow um, that has yet to be enforced. And so we have yet to see a single action by the Attorney General in Massachusetts under the new set of, of rules. Um, there is a lot of confusion around the rules, whether they apply to the, every business in Massachusetts or anyone who has Massachusetts residence information. What about the federally regulated entities? All that is, are open questions. Um, more laws, you know, uh, certainly create more business for lawyers, um, but they have to be clear. I mean, they have to be easy to understand. Um, I've been reading about the, you know, the opt-in, opt-out, and uh, Senator Kerry and Senator McCain's bill. Um, they're trying to clarify the policy so the consumer understands. If somehow we can come to a, a, a point where a consumer, uh, before he puts the information in, knows exactly what their risk is of giving the information, um, that's where you want to be because, you know, an unenforceable law isn't going to get it done when you're looking after the incident already happened. It, it, it's somehow inserting the rules at the point of collection, I think, would be a valuable place if there were be, to be additional laws. Well, but it begs the question of what is to be done. I mean, the, the bottom line is that technology isn't perfect and uh, security isn't perfect. Uh, and uh, in, a, in a world where so much uh, of commerce uh, is done online, uh, I, I, can a consumer reasonably expect to protect his or her data from this kind of a breach or this kind of exposure? Uh, Justin, what do you think about that? I mean, there's always going to be risk, right? You're never going to get down to to zero percent risk. Um, but you know, I, I think if if uh, the, the existing standards for requiring uh, data breach notification uh, and and security are stronger. Uh, and I think I think incidents like this are really important, right? I mean, there, there are a lot of companies who say, yeah, I'm not Sony. But there are a lot of other companies saying, hey, let's make sure I'm not Sony. Um, 
So you know, these these are teaching moments that I, that, I mean will not again not be perfect. Um, but again, if comp- if uh, enforcers are given more authority um, to to do this, uh, I think there'll be uh, more attention paid to security matters. Uh, also, I, I agree that you know if consumers are told in a meaningful manner up front, you know who their data is going to be shared with, uh, and it turns out that you know it's going to be outsourced to to, the, to a country that I don't I don't necessarily want my data going to, or, or it's going to be shared with a lot of third parties. Uh, consumers might dial back from that. They might say, you know what, I, I'm going to do business with a, with a different company that, that I trust more. Uh, if there are better disclosures about how companies are treating data, I think uh, consumers will, will respond, and I think companies will maybe be a little safer about uh, sharing their data. You have to wonder who to trust, though. I mean, you know, if you can't trust Sony, I mean, they talk about Epsilon. Epsilon was a is is a company that that is in the business uh, of doing uh, handling email for you know some of the biggest companies of the world. This is what they do. If they if they haven't hammered down their security here, then then who is going to be doing it? You know, we've heard about breaches with uh, you know Gmail. I mean, Google again is a company that's. We should expect has the highest level of security and 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 the most advanced engineers working on that kind of a thing. Uh, so I, I I mean I guess I, I it's a rhetorical question I guess, but I just wonder what a consumer is to do and is to do and and what the limits uh, you know how how they can make a, a rational decision about who to trust and who not to trust. Yeah, it's hard because you, you you do go by by name and I mean I would have been surprised that Sony was doing this, but then again. I mean, there are preventable things that, that Sony and Epsilon could have done to to, to minimize this. Um, so I think the incentives are, are are not not either not strong enough or not clearly conveyed enough to companies right now to get their practices right. I couldn't agree more with that. That that was that's an excellent correct. There is not enough incentives in order to do the right thing in certain situations because I think that the breach at RSA it's a computer security. Firm it, it is the highest level. Th- those people, that company provided security to some of our top government um, people, and they suffered a breach through a simple email phishing scam. Uh, so it can happen to anybody. Um, it really. So, can. so when I hear incentive, I hear law and and uh, penalties for violations of that law. Is that is that what you're talking about, or is there some other form of incentives? That, that's probably what it is. I mean, you know, when you when you get yourself into the situation, I would like to think that this Sony case is in and of itself incentive. They're going to have to deal with insurance companies, the credit card industry, the authorities of 50 states, the United States government at many different levels, and then the individual lawsuits. That This right here should be incentive. Uh, whether it is or not, it, it, I just couldn't fathom if I was in a situation where I offered an online gaming system or I was Amazon and I had a million Kindles on the street that require credit cards in order to buy books that wouldn't take this as an incentive to recheck their security systems. All right, well, Justin and John, we are just about at the end of our time for this program. And before we conclude, we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to close with your final thoughts on this topic. Uh, and we also invite you, if you'd like to, to share with our listeners uh, how they might be able to follow up with you and get more information about what you're doing. So, uh, Justin Brookman, let's start with you. Sure. So, like, uh, our main focus uh, here in Washington is, has been working on uh, getting some kind of comprehensive privacy law passed. And I think that would probably re- require also an element of, of reasonable security, too, although I don't think it would be much of a change from existing law. I mean, I think it, it actually is not a fair point. There are actually pretty strong incentives 
under the law right now, there's not well recognized in a lot of companies. And I think the point that you know security is not a profit center is is is, <laughs> is a problem for getting people to adopt reasonable practices. Um, but you know, that that said, you know we're working a, a lot of folks here in Washington about what a, a federal uh, data privacy and possibly incorporating data, data breach notification, data security uh, into as well. So you know if you have thoughts on that, please feel free to drop me an email. Uh, at, at Justin at CDT.org. Um, so this is going to be a, a pretty big issue in Congress for, for the next uh, a year or so and possibly going forward. Very good. And, and again, I just just looking at your website where you've got a, you've got some testimony up at CDT.org slash data dash theft dash threat. Uh, good reading there on this on this issue. Uh, and John Lacey, uh, your final thoughts. Thank you, Bob. My idea is that you know when you have superior knowledge, you have to have superior responsibility. These companies that have our information obviously possess this superior knowledge. They can collect, organize, analyze, and use millions of people's information. Uh, and because of that, they should be required to have a superior responsibility. There should be clear, enforceable laws that impart this responsibility on the companies. And we shouldn't allow the lobbying efforts of the companies profiting from the information somehow water down or make unenforceable the laws that are needed. I think that the confidence in the digital world is at risk if we don't act, and I think that those who know better need to act better. Uh, I would say that can be best be reached via my blog at massdataprivacy.com. Right, well, thank you to both uh, both of you for taking the time to be with us today and share your your thoughts and insights on this topic. I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, they can find uh, all of our archives uh, going back five-plus years at the uh, LegalTalkNetwork.com and also in the podcast library and iTunes. And that if they would like to try and get uh, CLE credit for listening to this show, they are, uh, some of the shows are available for credit through the West Legal Ed Center. You can find that on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Uh, look for the West Legal Ed Center icon there. Click on that. Uh, Justin and John, thanks a lot for being with us today. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Thank you. We will be back next week, uh, hopefully with Craig Williams, uh, for another episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. See you then. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.